Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. We are here because we are in the presence of the Almighty. And He wants to purify us. Amen? Amen. If we'll let Him. Dr. Laurel Madsen is the preacher of the evening. He is going to help us hear from God through uh, life experiences and through His Word. So would you welcome Him? And then stand with me and let's say our uh, preparatory prayer together. Hear my Lord, purify me. One more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's pray just a second. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you tonight. We praise your name for your great love. We are recipients of so much of your grace. We stand amazed in your presence. I pray that you would teach us tonight. It is in your holy name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the other day, quite by accident, I stumbled across a devotional on the internet. The devotional was entitled, Wintry Moods. I, I began to look through the devotional and the author who had just posted within the last few hours that devotional thought was talking about how wonderful it was to come out of winter and come into a springtime. I thought to myself, this is a rather strange uh, thing to be reading in the middle of September. And as I continued to read, I, I, I gathered the impression that this writer was not just talking about uh, something that had happened six or seven months ago, but was talking about today. And, and she said in her, in her devotional, isn't it amazing how quickly our moods change when the weather just warms up by a few degrees? Well, I can't apply that to here tonight, but isn't it how amazing how quickly our mood changes when the weather cools off by four or five degrees and rain begins to come down from the sky. And we've been praying for rain for how many days and now that it's here, and then of course my wife just did a wonderful thing to me. Wives of prospective preachers or husbands of prospective preachers, don't ever tell them good news just before they get up to the pulpit. Sharon came over here a few minutes ago and leaned over and kindly whispered in my ear, don't be surprised when you get home. Misty, that's our little white dog, may need a bath because just before she left, she was out digging in the flower garden. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how quickly our moods change? I read further in the devotion and discovered that the writer of the devotion was living in the city of Melbourne, Australia. 
where they are just coming out of winter and coming into spring. And I was reminded of that good old uh, country western song of a few years ago, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> oh, you've heard it. <clears throat> Shame on you. <laughs> And I realize that it's winter somewhere. I've been thinking about these verses, and I'm not going to comment at all about the fact that I'm choosing two verses from the book of Song of Solomon. I'll let the Bible scholars and the theologians deal with the whole issue of the Song of Solomon. I'm just going to read two verses from the New Living Translation. Look. The winter is past, the rains are over and gone, the flowers are springing up, the season of singing birds has come, the cooing of the turtle doves fills the air. The winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers are springing up, and the time for the singing of the birds has come. What a marvelous thought. Okay, so I'm going to lift the passage completely out of context. I'm not going to talk about the Song of Solomon, but I want to talk about the wintry experiences of our lives. You're all too young to remember this, but go with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Yeah, I knew it. That was the beginning of the Lone Ranger, okay, years ago on radio and TV. Let me take you back to seven months ago today. A day that forever changed my life. I started the day seven months ago today. It was February 22nd. I started the day very, very early in the morning. I was in Flint, Michigan. I had been in Michigan for a conference over the weekend and had preached on Sunday, had driven down to Flint where I was going to board an airplane, and late Sunday night it began to snow. It was a wintry, beautiful, beautiful snowfall. The plane that I had to catch I had to be at the airport at 4 a.m. No, I'm sorry, I had to get up at 4 a.m., which Detroit Flint time was 2 a.m. Colorado Springs time. I hurriedly stumbled through the darkness to get dressed and walked out to my car, and there was a layer of snow about this thick on the ground, and I had asked the people at the hotel where I was staying the easiest way to get to the airport, and they had told me, well, just go right down here, turn up the street, and you can't miss it. <laughs> yeah. As the snow was falling, I greatly missed it. <clears throat> So after a period of time of driving out into the country surrounding Flint, I turned around, went back, and went on the direction that I thought was probably the way I should have gone in the first place. Made it to Flint in time, caught the airplane, took that wonderful long 13-minute flight to Detroit, <coughs> where we landed in more of a snowstorm, and I had a couple of hours lay over there, and so I tried to keep awake to not miss my connection, and then 
wondered if the flight would get out, but finally we got out and flew on to Minneapolis where I made another connection and then came home to Colorado Springs where it was a sort of a spring day. But little did I know that I was about to enter a winter experience of my life. That night when I got home, Sharon told me that that day at work here on campus, she'd experienced some physical symptoms that were very disconcerting. She'd been helping Professor Church host a meeting on campus that day in Williamson Hall, and at the time when she was about to leave Williamson, uh, one, of the ex one of the symptoms that she experienced was that her legs became so weak she thought she was going to fall and could not carry herself, and Reverend Church had to help her to her office. We sort of passed it off as much as you can do that. Uh, two days later, she called me from her office and told me that the experience had happened, the symptom had come again, and asked if I would take her home. That afternoon, she made an appointment with a doctor. She went, not to see our family doctor, because he was not in, but saw another doctor in, <clears throat> in that same practice, who immediately ordered an MRI. So at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, we were at Penrose, uh, Penrad Imaging down by Penrose, Maine, where she underwent an MRI. The next day the doctor called, <clears throat> said you have to do an additional MRI again tonight. Can you do that? We found ourselves again at Penrad Imaging, and I will never forget February 26th. About 9.30 in the morning, I was sitting in my office, my telephone rang, <clears throat> and our family doctor was at the other end. And Dr. Yazel said to me, Laurel, I need to talk to you. I've just talked to Sharon. We have discovered that she has a tumor on her spine. I knew immediately that it had to be something that was pretty significant because why would a doctor call the husband? I called home where Sharon and Kathy were. <clears throat> I said, did you talk to Dr. Yazel? And he had not told them definitely that it was a tumor. That made me even more nervous. That became, and we began a very wintry experience in our lives. Many of you have prayed for us. I cannot thank you enough. It was the following Tuesday night that we had a healing service in this chapel where Dr. Graves preached. Many of you who are here remember that wonderful night. Dr. Graves talked about it the other evening. We began a series of tests. We began a series of doctor's appointments and doctor's visits, all of which seemed to end in knowing nothing. <clears throat> the neurosurgeon to which we were referred here in town took a look at the MRIs and said, I don't know what it is. I know one thing. It's beyond my ability. I'm referring you to the University of, of Colorado Hospital in Denver where they know what they're doing. I don't know how to treat you. After three and a half months of uh, visiting different doctors, going through different tests, including one test where they called her later and said, oops, sorry, we did the wrong thing. 
can you come back again? And that was just a little minor spinal tap. After three and a half months, we sat in uh, the neurosurgeon's office at the University Hospital in Denver, and he said, honestly, I do not know what it is, and I do not know how to treat it. We walked out of there in one of the deepest winters of my life. I said to Sharon, we've got to get you to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. In the meantime, our family doctor had discovered, well, in all the tests, they had discovered something else was going on. And our family doctor said, I want you to see an oncologist. At least that was my reaction. I mean, what do you think when the doctor says to you, you need to see an oncologist? And he followed that up by these marvelous words. I'm not saying you have cancer. I just want you to be prepared. We were very fortunate. It was the oncologist who agreed to refer Sharon to Mayo Clinic in Rochester. They called us when they got all of the material together and they said, we have an appointment for you. Well, they, they called us when they got all the material and they said, we now have all the material necessary to make a decision on your case. We will decide in the next two weeks if we will take you as a patient. That was on a Friday afternoon. On Tuesday morning, they called her and said, can you be here a week from today? We got to Mayo Clinic on Tuesday, May, excuse me, June the 15th. On Thursday, the doctors had diagnosed the problem. On Friday, they did a spinal angiogram to locate the, and I'm not even sure I can say it quickly, but the arteriovenous fistula on her spine. The problem was that the blood supply was not going to her spinal cord. It was instead coming from the artery going directly into the vein back to the heart and cutting off the blood supply from the nerves that controlled the lower half of her body. Two neurosurgeons in Mayo said to us, if you had gone on much longer, she would have been paralyzed for life. <clears throat> on Tuesday, the 22nd of June, three months ago today. The doctors did a procedure on Sharon to repair that fistula. It was a day that again changed our lives. In those seven months, I have learned some lessons. Some life lessons from a wintry experience that I want to share with you tonight. First thing I've learned is life lessons are not like bicycle riding. They say that bicycle riding, once you've got it down, you've got it down. You'll never forget it. But I've discovered again in these last seven months 
that some of the life lessons we learn about how God deals with us, we are so prone to forget. So life lessons are not like bicycle riding. We often forget in the middle of trouble. Our text for tonight says the flowers are springing up, the season of singing birds has come. I've learned a second thing. Birds don't sing much in the winter or at night. When you are going through the deepest, darkest valleys, in May I attended two Pelcons. I was able to attend six of them this summer for the Church of the Nazarene. In May, I attended the one at Olivet, and a very good friend of mine came and was talking with me about Sharon's condition. This was in May. We didn't know what was going on for sure till the middle of June. I said to my friend, David, I don't know if I should be attending Pelcons this summer or if I should be at home preparing to bury my wife. Birds don't sing in the dark or in the winter. Third thing I learned, God will get his message through, you, through to you some way. It may take a lot, and I'm kind of thick-headed, so it takes a lot for me. Last winter when I preached in chapel, I preached on one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 40, the verse that says, those whose hope is in the Lord, or the way I memorized it in the old days, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, they will mount up with wings as eagles, they will run and not be weary, they will walk and not faint. I preached on that in this chapel shortly after all of this started. And I told students then, wait on God, he'll take you through. Well, <clears throat> a few months later, I had the opportunity, well actually it was the next month, in March, I had the opportunity of going to La Junta to preach in the Church of the Nazarene there on a Sunday morning, and as I was trying to pull my thoughts and ideas together to preach, God said, preach on Isaiah chapter 40. Oh, I can do that. So I did. In May, <clears throat> I was asked to go over to the west side of town and preach at First Mennonite Church. As I began to think about what to preach about, God said, preach on Isaiah chapter 40. And see, I'm pretty thick-headed. I thought he was just making it easy on me. He was trying to get a message through to me. The very next week, I had the opportunity of preaching at the Cowboy Church at Penrose, Colorado. Oh, you know by now what I preached there. <laughs> <clears throat> the very next week was graduation weekend. One of the online students came up to me during graduation weekend and said, Dr. Matson, I want you to know what a blessing you are. <clears throat> Well, if I remembered correctly, the grade that I had given him in the one class I taught was not such a blessing, but 
As we talked, he said, you know, it wasn't very long ago. I listened to the message you preached in chapel about those who wait on the Lord. So I'm saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm beginning to get it now. <clears throat> you, you don't have to keep pushing this thing home. I'm understanding what you are saying. We drove to Rochester on the 15th. We arrived. <clears throat> we stayed in a home that the Church of the Nazarene in Rochester, Minnesota has. They have 12 bedrooms that they rent out to people who are involved at Mayo Clinic. They charge $25 a night. We walked into the bedroom with our suitcases and there was a little slip of paper welcoming us on the pillows. Guess what the message on the little slip said? <laughs> I kid you not. <clears throat> and I said, okay God, I have it now. You want me to trust in you. The fourth thing that I've learned is loving and following God does not make us bulletproof. Life still comes. <clears throat> Fifth thing that I've discovered or learned again is difficult times don't make you a bad person. There are so many people who have bought into the messages that have been instilled in their minds over the years by perhaps well-meaning but misinformed people. The sixth thing I've learned, in order to hear the birds sing and the doves coo, we need to put up with some pigeons and blackbirds in our lives. <clears throat> I don't want to get too graphic here, but we feed birds at our house. There's a flock of pigeons that lives on our neighbor's house behind us. Those pigeons have recently taken up residence closer to our house. Too close to the hot tub for me to really care about. But there are times when we are in the winter of our lives when in order for us to hear the birds sing and the doves coo, we may have to put up with the pigeons and the turtle doves for a time. Seventh thing that I've learned is things are not always as they appear first. And I've learned or relearned that the way things appear depends on my attitude. I was commenting to Sharon the other day. <clears throat> As we drove off of Interstate 94 and drove up the highway to Rochester, Minnesota. Now, Rochester, Minnesota is an interesting town. It's out in the middle of rural southern Minnesota. Mayo Clinic and the hospitals that surround Mayo Clinic employ 30,000 people. The clinic is uh, two or more buildings, two main buildings that are 18 and 20 stories tall. Right out here in the middle of Dairy Corn, Minnesota. <clears throat> 
As, as we drove into town the first day, we came up sort of over a rise and you could see the city lying before us and we could see the high-rise clinic and the hotels that surround it. And I remember very clearly saying to Sharon, Sharon, how would you like to live in a town that's built around sickness and misery? Three days later, the doctors diagnosed her problem. Four days later, they identified where the problem was and said, next Tuesday, we're going to operate and fix the problem. We had a weekend off. We used to pastor about 150 miles away. We drove to that church on Sunday morning just to see our old people that we had served. We drove back on Sunday afternoon and we drove not the same exact road, but we drove up over that ridge again and came down and looked at the city and I said to Sharon, how would you like to live in a city that's built on healing and hope? In the midst of the winters of life, your attitude sometimes depends or determines how things really are. The eighth thing I've learned is, and I just picked this up last week and stole it, God can turn the awful into the awesome. The day they were doing the surgery on Sharon, we started the day at the hospital as we were supposed to at 9 a.m. They didn't come to get her till 12.30. That's when they told me to get out of the room. They didn't actually take her into the room for the surgery till much later than that. And at 7.30 at night, I got a telephone call. The voice at the other end said, <clears throat> this is the nurse from the operating room. We have finished with the laminectomy. In case you don't know what a laminectomy is, that's when they cut, a, a, cut out a part of the spine. We have finished with the laminectomy. We are now starting on the procedure to fix the fistula. We're now operating under a microscope and you won't hear from us again until the surgery is complete. The surgeon had told us earlier that they would be operating on blood vessels no larger than a human hair. God can turn the awful into the awesome. The ninth thing that I've learned, even when spring begins to come, life keeps coming at you. I'd like you to meet the newest member of the Matson family. I'd like you to meet Ava Grace Matson. The picture that you see of Ava Grace was taken a, a few weeks ago, and at this moment, Ava is minus 44 days and counting. She has not yet been born. Two weeks ago, we're excited about our new granddaughter coming, okay? I mean, you talk about a grandpa showing pictures, huh? Two weeks ago, our daughter-in-law sent us all a message that said, 
Oh, incidentally, I should mention that the pregnancy is a high-risk pregnancy. When they were visiting here in July, Sarah went into labor. They thought they might have to deliver a two-pound baby here in Colorado Springs. Ava hopefully will be born on November 1st at the University of Chicago Neonatal Center. Two weeks ago, Sarah sent us a note and said, just want you to know I just came back from my, my checkup and the doctor said it's really nothing to worry about, but the baby's heart is a little large and it has a hole in it. Even when spring begins to come, life keeps coming at you. So the tenth thing I've learned is that every single day, February 7th, or excuse me, February 22nd, June 22nd, two weeks ago, today, every single day is a day beyond which you will never be the same. Use that day. And the final thing that I have learned is this. God is in our tomorrows. I don't mean he will be in our tomorrows. He is there. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that I read that Wintry Moods devotional from the author in Melbourne, Australia. I've subscribed to that. I get a new devotional every day. They're very good. The interesting thing is, <clears throat> around 3 o'clock in the afternoon every day, it pops into my email, and it's posted that it has been posted at 4 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Wait a minute, 3 o'clock here, 4 o'clock in, no. So I've gone on to the internet and I've looked at the postings and she actually posted the one I got at 3 o'clock this afternoon. She posted it tomorrow morning. She's in Australia. I'm here. Now, if the internet can allow her to post a devotional tomorrow morning that I got this afternoon, why can't we believe that God is already in whatever you will encounter tomorrow? Those are some things I've learned in the winter of my life. God is in God is in the tomorrows as much as he's in the todays uh, you do we do need to pray for Steve he has a medical medical condition that they're not sure about so would everybody just bow your heads for a minute and let's pray for him
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness that we've heard from our brother Laurel and that we've seen in our sister Sharon and in our sister Kathy and in the ways that you have worked in their lives. We thank you for the witness of your grace at work in them. And we pray that by your help we'll apply that same grace to every part of our own lives. Uh, we have questions. Uh, we have leftovers. Uh, we have ongoings. Help us to say in the face of those, by your grace it is well. Amen. We pray for our brother Steve and for his... Um, his concerns. Uh, it'd be our preference that you'd heal. Uh, we pray for that. To that end, we also pray for a sense of your grace in the process. Help Steve and his wife and other family members who know uh, to rest their care and their concern in your hands. In the hands of the God who is in our tomorrow. And all those people said, Amen. Amen.